Welcome to Protecting Your Assets, the show about protecting people, property, and most importantly, protecting your ass. I'm your host, Lucky Luciano, and I'd like you to join me for a fast-paced and often fiery discussion about security issues with my co-host, Brian the Angry Man Claimant. Whether we're piercing the veil of security, talking your duty of care, or raving about the latest technology, we'll share our thoughts on the issues, the trends that are impacting security today and into the future. So grab a coffee and join us for our latest podcast, and don't forget to like and follow us on our sponsor's website, brianclayman.com. And now let's talk about protecting your assets. Hello and welcome to Protecting Your Assets. I'm Lucky Luciano Cedroni and with me is Brian, the Angry Man Clayman. On today's episode, it's just going to be the two of us and we're going to switch it up a little. We're going to stick to the uh, what's keeping you up at night discussion because, uh, quite frankly, I think there's a lot to talk about that's keeping us up at night. And so without further delay, I don't need to introduce myself. I'm going to go right to you, Brian, and what's keeping you up at night and uh, say hello to our audience. Well, hello, everyone, and I must say that I love doing this podcast because it's rather cathartic for me. It's like therapy. I'm able to get it off my chest. In fact, since doing a podcast with you, Luke, I've probably saved several thousand dollars because I don't have to see a therapist anymore. This well, you, is haven't, really... you haven't seen my invoice yet. Oh, I haven't seen you yet. <laughs> okay, but you're going to be a lot less than what my therapist would charge me, so... So, you know, what I'm looking forward to today's session because I think what we uh, are going to do is we're just going to talk about some of the silliness or the craziness that's out there. Yeah. And, uh, God, there's a lot. And I'm yeah. going to start off with this about uh, COVID, surprise, surprise, and vaccines. And, you know, we redid a couple of years ago our kitchen. And it was a $20,000, $30,000 project. It was a big project. And what we did, we planned for it. And we planned, we said, what are the things that we need to do to make this project successful? So we said, okay, we're going to have to finance it and get the money, save the money, get the loans. We're going to have to speak with the decorator and have a plan. We're going to have to select what kind of floor we want, what kind of tile we want. And we did this all before we started construction. If your lovely wife, Nikki, wants to invite people for supper, she probably sits down before making the supper and says, what are we going to eat? Who's coming? What are they like? What food do we need? And she buys this stuff so that when she starts putting it together, she's ready to rock and roll. Right? That's just simple. Yep. That's what normal people do. Now, let's put that into the realm of government. There's nothing normal about government. <laughs> I cannot understand how now, finally the vaccines are starting to come. However, we're having trouble distributing it. We have the York Region site crashes on day one. We've got the city of Toronto scratching their, whatever they were scratching, trying to figure out who are we going to inoculate first? Who are we going to inoculate second? How are we going to do it? Typical across the country. This is my question. I'm getting angry. How, what the hell have they been doing? For the last year, we've been talking about vaccines. We knew this day was going to come. All that we were able to do for the last year is cower and hide. And my question is, while we were cowering and hiding, and I was hiding in my basement, and I was wearing a moon suit and all sorts mm -hmm. of masks and helmet and gloves, where the hell was government? Where the hell was General Hillier? Where the hell was York Region with their IT department? Why are they surprised? 
that more than six people logged into the computer, the yeah. website, to make an appointment on Monday. That is friggin' ridiculous. Let me catch well, my breath. You see, it's finally taken you, what, uh, eight months to come around to my way of thinking because I never had the confidence in government that you had. And we've always fundamentally disagreed on their approach. I know that government's a disaster. We've dealt with them for years. When we ran those big companies downtown, trying to engage them was like pulling teeth. They do not want to come to the table. They don't want accountability. And they don't want to be seen to lead anything. They want to sit on their freaking asses, collect their checks, blame everybody else. That's what we see in the media today. And that's the way we've always seen. That, that's our experience downtown, uh, certainly with me. And you know you know the, the yeah. programs that we ran down there. I don't want to name them up because that might identify some of the people that think I'm talking about them. And maybe I am. But the reality <laughs> is it was a disaster. It was a joke. Okay. And the private sector continually had to step up to take some of the leadership in some key areas that people would think should be run by government. And so I will say to you, you know, in response to your question, you know, how do we get to this? Just look at from day one. The pre-planning was out the window, right? Despite years of warning, despite years of so-called white papers and consulting reports that said the, the epidemic's coming, prepare. And then when it finally hit, we had no masks. We had no in-house capability to produce those masks. And PPE was out the window. Why? Because it wasn't important. They had more important things to spend money on to get votes. So that pre-planning went out the window a long time ago. Since then, the messaging has been a freaking disaster. And even now that they've got the vaccines, the planning is a disaster. We got 34 different response plans in Ontario alone. Like, give your head a shake. How can that make sense to anyone? It's, it's beyond me how, how ridiculous this has gone. And the public is finally rightfully waking up to it, getting upset and rightfully frustrated. And hopefully, you know, some of their heads are going to roll. I won't see it. I mean, it's not going to happen because Canadians are docile and naive and they're going to probably careful. revoke these guys back. You're not advocating a January 6th in Washington here in Toronto, are you? You're not no, pulling a Trump on us. I'm not, but I am. Because I, I know do, the QAnon follows you, you know, I, and they're I waiting know, for signals. I do know Canadians and I can, and I know 100% that Prime Minister Fancy Socks will be back in office regardless of the fact he screwed us over so many freaking times and people continue to put him back into office. So that's my my vent to begin this session. You really got me upset right off the top because I'm just upset. Like, it, it, it's it's a dumbfounding. I don't understand how it's been allowed to happen. And you got the opposition like that idiot Singh. He just caters to it. You're the opposition. Now's your chance to pull up your socks and show what a big boy you can actually be. And instead he cowers there because he sees it as an opportunity to get some token little wins for his for his party and his people it's ridiculous it's it just incredible you're right how partisan this thing is how petty it is and how you know they always say that if you have problems with your computer speak to a kid and they'll help you deal with it well i wish government would stop having white papers and think tanks because they take the most simplest things the most logical things and screw it up and make it complicated Continuing on this rant, okay, moving from COVID to tow trucks. Oh, yes. We, we've had with the tow truck wars here in Ontario, and I suspect the similar stuff is happening around the country, is we've had, I think, it's gotten rather nasty, and I heard on the radio today, I think, 35 homicides over the last five years linked to the tow truck wars, okay, which is different uh, elements of organized crime uh, trying to muscle in. And after all the mayhem, and all the violence, the government today, I heard the uh, release, comes out with that they've had a think tank and they've 
analyzed the problem, they've decided what they're going to try, and it's just as an experiment, is to, rather than have the Wild West, that so when there's an accident, the radio goes out on the police radio van, that we need a tow truck at such and such a location, and every tow truck in the city is racing there, and they're risking life and limb to get there. And of they others. Finally figured out, of others. And they finally figured out, okay, let's dedicate this part of the highway to Company A and the next part to Company B. And then there's no more of this public safety issue. It takes the criminality out of the tow truck industry because you can't muscle in. Oh. It's Acme towing. Well, it's harder to muscle in. Yes, I was. Uh, you're you're uh, no uh, organized crime guy. I saw that. I, I uh, you something. just hit it on the head. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, it's harder to it, hustle it. Well, if you re if you use the taxi industry as an example, where they used to be licensed, or oh, they still are licensed, I guess. But take a look at the Pearson Airport and and the licensing debacle there, a selling of licenses. That's what I see happening out of that that model. I, I understand they have to do something, but I think the failure is going to be in the lack of government enforcement and inspections of those uh, of whatever system they put up. The problem is they don't enforce it, they don't police it, they don't have the inspectors, and they don't have the balls to enforce what they're going to lay out there. Otherwise, you can guarantee that if I've got the Highway 400, that slot is going to be available for sale to the to the highest bidder once I get it, and I'll subcontract that out to somebody. That's what that's what I see happening. Well, well there's a common theme. If government's involved, they mess it up. Because the next example I'm going to give to keep my anger and blood pressure high <laughs> is the legalization of cannabis. The whole idea of the legalization was to hold it. You know what? Let's make sure that the supply chain is safe. Let's make sure it's fairly priced. And let's put organized crime out of business. So what happens after three, four years of this nonsense? The stuff is not competitively priced. The quality is not as good as what you can get for your neighborhood drug dealer. And the delivery fees and times take forever. You call Bruno or Charlie or Susan on the corner and she'll deliver the stuff. Best quality in no time. So I see a common theme here. Government gets involved and everything gets screwed up. They'll take the simplest thing and make it complicated, make it worse than yeah. it was before. It is just incredible. You know, we saw that when we were downtown also in our partnerships with uh, the public sector is the different groups we tried to build, the different associations. Right? We, we always had the discussion, I mean, who should drive it? Should it be the public sector? Should it be the police? Should it be the city? Should it be government? Or should it be the private sector? We always had some very interesting discussions. But I always took the point, definitely not the public sector. Definitely not the government. And there's a lot of reasons. It's not that they're bad. It's not that they're stupid. But, you know, certainly in policing, you're on a two- or three-year model. So you're working in a department, in a squad, in a section. And in order to advance in your career, after two or three years, they move you to another job and you've got to start the relationship building again. Whereas on the private sector, we're in the same jobs for 20 or 30 years doing the same thing. So they don't have the staying power. Then there's all the political nonsense. So what I've learned over the years, and especially in the realm of partnerships, is you definitely have to engage the partners in the public sector but you have to take the leadership because if you stand back and think someone's going to take care of it, they're not. Even in the tow truck industry, just like the security guard industry. Actually, I'll get angrier now. In the security <laughs> guard industry years ago, when they were revisiting the legislation 
and they were talking about a living wage, paying guards a proper wage. And Ontario was looking at doing what Quebec has done, regulating what the guards get paid. The industry said, no, we don't want to make those decisions. We want government to make those decisions. Okay. And what do we have? We have a mess out there. We have guards doing really important work, not making a living wage, being abused, training standards are not where they need to be. I think industry groups, the towing industry, the security guard industry, we can't rely on government. We have to lead the charge. We have to work collaboratively with government because they've got the legislative capabilities mm-hmm. that we're lacking. But we, you know, we're the subject matter experts. We're the ones that have the vested interest. It's got to be driven by us. And that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. I, <laughs> I just lost my thought. There's something about vaccines that will come back to me. Maybe you put down that beer and start thinking. <laughs> I, I, I try to stay hydrated, okay? <laughs> yeah, the tow truck one is, is uh, like when I heard that story today, and I, I just shook my head because I, it brought me back to, to the days when I was on the you know police scene in the front line, and you'd go to those accident scenes, and they were like vultures. There's you know, five, six different crews out there. Everybody knew that they, most of them are connected to some kind of organized crime in some fashion, whether it's the Hells Angels or Italian organized crime or Eastern Europeans, whatever it is, they've all got their hands in it because it's so lucrative. And that was 20 freaking years ago. This is news to you today. They don't want to do anything because there's no political will. No one was getting hurt. So who cares? Everybody was making a cut. Now all of a sudden people are getting shot. That's why it's an issue. Otherwise, it'd still be under the carpet. And it's so sad on so many levels, that this tow truck industry thing. You know, I, I can only think of my late mother uh, broken down on the side of the highway. And one of these pirates show up, okay? And she's figuring, well, the police car is behind me. This guy must know what he's doing. And she gets fleeced and taken to the wrong body shop and charged exorbitant amount of money, okay? Because she didn't know any better. And I think about the honest tow operators that are investing their life, their life savings in buying equipment and trying to run a legitimate business, only to have some creep put a gun to his family's head and saying, no, you're not going to be working this stretch of the highway. It's just wrong on so many levels. And, and, And the thing that just got me so animated today is that the epiphany that the minister had during the press conference said, we're going to try this out. Come on, guys. You know, we were able to get to the moon in 10 years when Kennedy said we're going to go to the moon. We were able to get to Mars in a couple of years, okay? This is not rocket science. This is really, really simple, and we still screw it up. It is, but it just speaks to the level of arrogance, disconnection they have with the everyday taxpayer in this country. You talk about the, the marijuana thing. You know, when that first came out, we had, uh, you know, the company I worked for, we actually had properties in, that had already experienced legalization of marijuana. And so I reached out to them to share with me their experience. This is two years before we legalized it. And they sent me a report by a third party, uh, independent. They weren't government, but it was supported by government, paid for by government. And basically the white paper that came out of that after two years of, of running, uh, legalized marijuana sales in uh, Dallas, uh, sorry, not Dallas, um, oh my God, Colorado, was yeah. that the the market had become saturated with organized crime. In fact, they, they referred to them as the cartels. They don't even call it organized crime. So even a step higher when it comes to drugs, because the mob is, is sort of the second tier, I guess, in the States when it comes to drug running. The cartels are the big boys. They had saturated the market, was the term in that report. 
now you as a Canadian and Prime Minister Fancy Socks there thinking in his wisdom, they I could win a few votes out of this. What are the costs of the country? Have? What have they been to go down that road and completely ignoring the, that knowledge that had already been obtained through experience, yeah. right? Like why reinvent the wheel? To your point, this isn't rocket science. It's, it's already been done. Go look at those reports, figure out what they did wrong, and fix it before you roll it out. Instead, we just rolled it out our way, and here we are. I think last year we saw that report come out saying that 80% of the market was organized crime, basically, in Canada. Big surprise, right? Like To me, I don't find it newsworthy or shocking, and yet people in everyday public seem to, to your point, it's a, an epiphany. This is news to you? Really? Where? What do you watch all day? Where do you Where do you get your news from? Is it, and, you know, and, Disney? And, and, and it's all politics, you know, and when you when you operate in a political setting, it's not about doing the right thing. It's not about uh, taking care of your constituents. It's not about it's about getting reelected and you'll do yeah. what you need to do, get reelected. And that drug study that you referenced. OK, the government of Canada had access to all that yep. information. OK, but there was a political means. It was a means to an end. They were trying to uh, satisfy a promise they made to a portion of the electorate that wanted to smoke up, okay? Yep. It was one of the first things that they did when they got elected. Listen, I'm not opposed to it, you, you no. know, at all. I, quite honestly, and this might be another topic one day, I think all drugs should be decriminalized. I really do. I think, quite honestly, if you're if you're hooked on heroin or cocaine, you're not a criminal. Mm -hmm. It's a public health issue. Yeah. It should be dealt with that way, but that's a whole other topic. Yep. But we did it knowing what the experience of other jurisdictions were and without putting in the proper safeguards. And we had, and we continue to have all sorts of problems with this industry. You know, I remembered what I wanted to talk about with the vaccines. And what I wanted to say is I heard in today's news, AstraZeneca, that's been approved. It's coming to Canada. Yeah. It's not uh, recommended for people over 65. So the government of Canada today on three o'clock news has said, that there are the government of Ontario, excuse me, that the AstraZeneca vaccine will not be offered to people under uh, over 65. Yeah. And as an older Can Ontario Canadian, I'm happy because, you know, like not sure what uh, the effect is going to be. So that's a good thing as far as I'm concerned. So here's the problem. They've got, I don't know, uh, 400 or 600,000 doses that are coming, which is wonderful. It's not offered to anyone over 65. The, the Ontario schedule is that we're doing people over 80 right yep. now. We're going to do people uh, under 65 July 1st. So we've got all this drug coming. Plus, here's the kicker. It expires yep. on April 1st. So that great? There, is, there is no plan to vaccinate <laughs> anyone under 65. You would have thought in the last year, while I had my moon suit on, some person in government, some planner, could have anticipated different scenarios. You know, the thing that gets me, Luke, I'm not the smartest guy in the world. You're a lot smarter than me, and I've learned oh, a lot boy. from you. <laughs> when we plan for events, okay, for the G20, for the Occupy Toronto movement, for all these security events that were uh, that occurred while we were in our other lives, we looked at all sorts of contingencies, and we planned for what we knew, and we had all sorts of contingencies. Well, what if this or what if that? And we had a plan. How the heck do these guys not have a plan? They're now scrambling that how do we get this into the arms of people under 65 before it expires, and who are we going to target? Is it going to be 60-year-olds, 50-year-olds, 
And how do we do one and not the other? They don't have a frigging clue. No, they don't. And and it doesn't get any better. That's the scary part. Like even today I was listening to, and, I, and I'm sorry, I don't remember the, the doctor's name, but they were again on 1010 because that's just, <laughs> I give them free advertising, I guess. But I was listening to them talk to one of the top doctors, and I believe it was in Ontario. And he was basically saying, you know, about the vaccine, that it's basically an, an ongoing experiment. I get that. We don't know what the end game's, what the end game is, but Basically, there was a lot of, we're just doing this to go through the motions because it's really not going to change anything in the long run because of just the way things are falling in line and the variations are coming around. So it, it really becomes a convoluted mess. I think about, you know, countries like, um, like Italy or France, they've been in this for uh, a lot longer and a lot stricter than Canada has. And they've done a better job of rolling out vaccinations. They're both around 5 million now inoculated in their countries. But if you read the news today or yesterday, those countries are going into stricter lockdowns again. So what's the end game? And, and we haven't even talked about, you know, the part that I always bring up, the economic consequences. Our economy is, is down the worst it's been in since 1964, 63, some ridiculous amount of time. What are we going to do to get us back on track? We're just going to stay in our, in our freaking cubby holes until this passes over. That's not realistic. It's not, it's not practical. Well, you, you know, I didn't want to go there because I don't want to have to embarrass you again. But, but, but you, you know what? It's not practical, but it might be necessary. And I'm not saying it is. I, I, I'm not saying it is. If we did it right the first time, we wouldn't be here. Like I had this big debate with my son the other day, and I said, uh, listen, you know, you, you're against the lockdowns. Fair enough. Okay. Then go out and you want to see your friends. I understand that. So go for a walk with your friends and wear a mask and stay six feet apart. We don't want to do anything but complain. We want it to be, it's like a baby going wow, 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 wow. We want it to be the way it used to be. Well, it's not. And again, I, I give the example of uh, World War II and the uh, Blitz of uh, London, the, the bombings every night. I'm sure people had enough of it. But if you didn't go into the shelter at night uh, to spend the night rather than your nice king-size bed in your nice warm apartment, you were toast the next morning. That's the reality. So well, we have to do what we have to do well, to get through this. I'm I'm gonna now I'm gonna use a war analogy to push back on that because I will take it back even further to the battlefields of World War One, and that's to me is what we're doing. Everyone had a line that they well, stood yeah. behind, and then they charge the other well, side. They get machine gun to hell, and then they'd send another line and yeah. another line until somebody figured out hey this isn't working let's use tanks instead and that's what we're doing we're just sending well, a line after another line after somebody needs to figure out or at least take a pause and say this isn't working there's got to be something else out there because well, this, this just is, doesn't work well this is a great segue into the government or kerfuffle with returning visitors to canada and the mandatory <laughs> hotel i mean it doesn't work because i saw some doofus interviewed on tv and he basically said no friggin' way on getting the test. No friggin' way on going into the hotel. He said he got his $800 ticket. And then he looked at the camera and said, 800 is less than 2,000 or 3,000. Yep. Yep. How the hell did the government not anticipate this? Who the hell is running uh, things and Circus. making decisions? It really is. You know, you've got the Minister of Public Safety, Minister Blair, who is a person that has a lot of experience in public safety matters. And he's signing off on these things. I mean, yeah. To your point about that World War One analogy, that's probably a better analogy than mine, because you're right. If we did things right the first time, we wouldn't have to do it the second and third time, like New Zealand, like Australia, maybe like 
Italy. You know, I know they're well, going they haven't back. done it right. <laughs> oh, okay, okay, I'm not that familiar. They're with ahead of us with it. vaccines, but they, they continue to lock in but, down and open. That's but, what it's a cycle. Like. If we're going to lock down, let's lock down. If we're not going to lock down, let's not lock down. I do not understand how I and you said this many times. I can't see my son. You can't see your mother, but you can see fifty thousand strangers in Walmart. Yeah. Like, yeah. where's the logic in that? Now I know you have to eat, but here, rather than going to Walmart, why don't you go to the neighborhood butcher, help that part? Because quite honestly, if Walmart has trouble and Costco has trouble and the big box stores have trouble, so be it. Okay. But if the little guy, the economy is 80% is small business. We have killed them. It's almost like organized crime saying, pay the protection and shut up and do as you're told. It's not right. And the biggest uh, failure, I think, is we've gone through these lockdowns, which just went through motions. We said, you you, you can't go out to see your mother or son. You've got to socially isolate. You can't have Christmas. But it's okay to be on Dundas Square every Saturday or Queen's Park and to protest. Listen, unless you're going to do it properly, don't do it at all. And on that, we do agree. Well, yeah, we do agree on that. And I don't think, I think like most people, I do take the precautions that I should take when I'm out there. And I follow the direction. I think the the failure, the where, what I take issue with is that the failures, when they do happen, the government hasn't addressed them. And they've punished yeah. everybody for the stupidity of a few. Yeah. So you're right. right. You're, you're t- this whole thing, for example, of a mask. Well, if you have a medical excuse, you don't need a mask. Okay, if there's a medical mm-hmm. reason. And you know, on the surface, that sounds logical, but it, it it discounts the fact that human beings are chancers, and that's an Irish term. My brother-in-law always, my Irish brother-in-law always throws my way. A chancer is an opportunist. You know, I asked Danny, my son, today. I said, "Hey, Dan, we're talking about the similar thing." And I said, if you're on the 407 or the 401, do you follow the speed limit? He said, no, I go 120, 125. I said, okay. Do you do it when there's an OPP car behind you or beside you? No. Well, why not? Because then you get caught. Because there's a consequence. That He's not a bad person. Yeah. I do the same thing. Yeah. If there's no consequence, it's not going to work. So then why have a rule that puts people out of business if, it's not gonna, if you're not going to enforce it? If we, if government just figured out, like, I was talking to a lot of police officers, and like I saw on TV, Peel Regional Police were at the airport talking about people that refuse to go into the yeah. hotels, and they're choosing not to do anything because the law is not well conceived. Well, I got an idea. How about all those people that work at Queens Park and a Parliament Hill in Ottawa, when they propose legislation, think it through? And think it through that at the end of the pointy sword is going to be some police officer or bylaw officer dealing with the doofus who's a chancer that tells the cop to F off. Yeah. Okay. What tools are we going to give that cop? And quite honestly, you know, we've all seen the videos out of Calgary and Hull, Quebec, where police officers end up taking people down and then they're the scourge of the earth. Mm-hmm. You can't have it both ways. You can't support your public sector people. And then shit on them when it doesn't work out for you politically. So I really think, to your point, it's been mishandled from the beginning. You know, one of the things we talk about, we learn in emergency management is that you have to pivot. You've got to be prepared to modify the plan. I think you said it a few podcasts ago, and Bill Needle certainly talks about this, our last guest, that one of the first things that fail in an emergency 
is your plan. Yeah. And uh, emergency management, IMS, ICS, is not about having a plan and sticking to it. They teach you how to react to changing inputs so that you've got an objective, which is to minimize the damage of the emergency, to return to normal as soon as possible. But you tweak the plan to that end. Well, why the heck isn't government tweaking the plan to the end? They're just reinventing it, as they, making it up as they go along. Well, that's because they don't have a plan. <laughs> they don't want to practice the plan. They may have a plan. It's just like our clients in the real world, though, Brian. They all have plans, but they're likely covered in two-inch thick dust on the desk and haven't been looked at in years. And, and you know, as an example, again, you talk about our government. They say, have they been through it before? Well, how about SARS? Huh? We've been through that. They did all kinds of consulting work on that. They had all kinds of white papers fall from that. They had all kinds of recommendations that apparently they, they acted on and that they were wiser for. And then here we are day one into the real pandemic because SARS compared to this, I guess, wasn't as, as serious. SARS is a joke. Yeah, and, and, and so day one into this pandemic, and it's, they've dropped the ball like massively. You can't even say it's, it's a small blip. They didn't have PPE. They didn't have, they, I wonder, I would like to know when the last time was that any of those governments actually practiced, uh, or, uh, tabletop their pandemic plans before this ep epidemic hit. SARS was the last time. And if they did it and the consultant facilitated ought to be uh, sued and lose their license, yeah. and they should call Brian Clinton and Associates and we'll do yeah. it for them. You're right. Yeah. No, it's just, it, it's, it's just ridiculous. Uh, Maybe you, you know need what? some of that marijuana. You <laughs> I, I need some of that marijuana, that CBD oil. Yeah, I tried that actually. My wife had some, uh, so I tried some CBD oil uh, to help me sleep, and yep. it really makes you mellow. And uh, and I think the strength. I don't know if, uh, if it's milligrams or what, but it was fifteen. And my wife switched it on me one day, and she had one which was CBD plus THC oh, that was thirty. And I took it at night, not looking at what I was taking. But I woke up. First of all, I was having these freaky, crazy dreams. I woke up to let the dogs out at 2 in the morning, and I felt like I was stumbling. And I said, what the hell is wrong with me? And I realized that she set me up for an overdose. And I oh, my God. This is your wife. Wife, check, the police, check the, the police insurance? officer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I told her, I said, you know what? I'm going to take the mellow stuff. I'm not as tough as you. You could take the heavy oh. stuff. It helps you sleep. Yeah, I do. I, once in a while, I'll do that. I don't yeah. do it all the time, but I'll take a, a little gel when, when I need it. When I'm yeah, stressed yeah. out, but that won't be a this, problem today because I've, I've been able to vent with you. <laughs> it comes in a gel pack. It's funny. The ones I use, I have to inject in my arm. Or between my toes. I think you better <laughs> you better just, you better ask your wife a few more questions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, it makes sense how she works in the evidence room. <laughs> okay, so another thing that drives me crazy, it drives me absolutely crazy, it's political talk. Yep. You see it on both sides of the border. Where you ask a question, I just saw the Minister of Procurement uh, interviewed by uh, Aaron Solomon, uh, the radio guy, the TV, yeah. I forget his name right now. Anyways, asked a question about did the government make a mistake by not procuring enough vaccines or a homegrown solution? And the answer was, well, the government of Canada is dedicated to the safety yeah. and well-being of Canada. He asked the question five times, and the last three of the five times, yes or no? Did the government of Canada make a mistake? Well, 
to reiterate, the government is focused on the safety and well-being of Canada. Minister Blair does the same thing. Yeah. The Americans do the same. Like, do they think we're idiots? I know exactly what they're doing. You have some communication specialists that said these are the talking points. Stick to the talking points. And they're like a bunch of trained seals. It just drives me crazy. How about some honesty? How You, you know what? I, God forbid. I might even vote liberal in Trudeau if they said <laughs> we messed up. It I was can see why Carolyn's trying to kill you now. <laughs> <laughs> it was unchartered territory. We have never dealt with a pandemic in our lifetime of this magnitude. And we thought we were doing the right thing, but we messed up. But this is what we're doing to fix it. Just like I say to clients when I mess up, that would be so refreshing if a political leader would do it. Then I would believe them and I would trust them. But they won't do that. And it just makes me angrier and more despising of what they represent. They they won't do that because they don't have to do that. And I I lay the the blame for that squarely on you, me, the listeners, the freaking right. population, because we keep accepting that bullshit and we vote these putzes in. Granted, we don't have a lot of options. There are putzes in all areas, like you said, on all parties. But we've allowed that to happen because we continue to put these idiots in, in power. And, and that's what gets them the votes. At the end of the day, we get the government we deserve. Yeah. A friend of my wife, a friend of ours, I've had some real interesting debates that actually get me angry. And she's always maintained, she's a very smart woman, works for the government, actually. And she said she's always maintained that the electorate are too stupid yeah. to vote. And it was almost like a Hillary Clinton line about the deplorables. And, you know, I started off as a liberal. I started off as a naive uh, uh, a social worker, cappuccino yeah. drinking person. I really thought there's no evil in the world. It's just people lacking opportunity, you, you know. But I, I, I've experienced life. And I, I so I used to be really angry with her. And I used to say, you know, that's just condescending. And shame on you to say things like that. But you know what? She's freaking right. She really is. When I look at Donald Trump, when I my wife and I had this talk about Trump. We both despise that, man. But she was saying uh, that Trump's the problem. And I said, Trump's not the problem. No, It's man. the people that vote him in yeah. are the problem. You could shoot, and I don't advocate to shoot the man. He <laughs> can die of natural causes. But it's Trumpism that's the problem. And Trudeau's not the problem. You know, it goes back to the story I gave you uh, that I was telling my son about speeding on the 401. You don't speed on the 401 if there's an OPP cruiser beside you because there's going to be a consequence to your action. We allow government to do the most egregious things, and there's no consequence. And you might ask, what would that consequence be? Well, we talk with their vote. You, you know, yeah. people say, what can we do about Trump? What can we do about Trudeau? What can we do about Aaron O'Toole? Easy. Every four years, kick their ass out. Politicians are their DNA is to get reelected. That's their DNA. So if we tell them if you want to get reelected, you have to do the people's work. They'll do the work, but we let them do anything, yeah. get away with it, and there's no consequence. Yep. And I and I I I would certainly ex expand that blame uh, to to the opposition because without an incompetent opposition, you wouldn't have to have. You know, you wouldn't have to make the choice to, to elect a Trump. Like the Democrats have failed as have. just as badly as the Republicans have. And and we're seeing that now with some of the crap that's going on with Biden and his crew. They're no different. They just call themselves different, but they're the same the same quality of, of leader. 
I remember when I was in university, I was in, you know, political science and history, and there was a term, I was really interested in uh, 20th century history and the wars, World War II, and there's a concept called might is right. And if you look at the map of Europe, it has changed in the 20th century so many times. Alsace-Lorraine's in France, it's in Germany, it's in Hungary, it's here, well, Alsace-Lorraine isn't, but the borders, Yugoslavia, things like that, okay? Yep. It was because the winner... The ruins go to the winner type thing. Might is right. You know, I was, I was going to make such a fantastic point. <laughs> you are on something today. Uh, you know what it is? It's the, it's the, the marijuana oil and the Guinness. <laughs> it's just having an effect on me. Uh, all right. Well, I'm looking at my clock and we are closing up on, on the hour. Uh, but I thought, I mean, I've, I've had a good chat today. I, I appreciate it. You allow me to vent on you a little because I'm just fed up with all the crap that, that we're hearing, that we're seeing. I'm so disappointed in the naivety, uh, what did you call it, the uh, epiphany that, that people seem to have about things that, to me, have been so blatantly obvious for years and years. And it's only now coming to light because people are getting hurt or there's a political interest. And that's the only reason why it's coming to light. But, you know, I think we are in a world of hurt. Over the next few few months, uh, I don't see an end to the COVID any anytime soon. And as we see by this tow truck fiasco, their solutions I don't think are going to work either. It's just uh, same old, same old, I guess, uh, as we move forward. Well, you know what, though, we're in a period of time right now where things are not going as good as we need to. But there is no doubt in my mind, you know, the Earth has been around for hundreds of millions of years. People have been around for million, tens of millions of years. And we will be at a uh, uh, at a bar with our friends, having a beer, going to a hockey game again in the future. And I think that's going to be sooner than later. There truly is light at the end of the tunnel. My, my brother and I had this debate, you know, and he said with uh, the U.S. election, he says the U.S. is just screwed. It will never be the same. And, and I said, well, you, you know, Biden's job is he's going to have to rebuild the country. He's going to have to unify the country. He said it's not going to happen. I said, Mark, it's going to happen. It has to happen. If we don't get back to normal in the U.S. from a political point of view, the world comes to an end. It, the world relies on American stability. So the point is that after every hurricane, after every thunderstorm, the sun comes up. And we start over, and there's a renaissance. Mm -hmm. And renaissance is French for there's a rebirth, okay? And we will emerge from this as well. It's just like any war, we have to survive till it's over yep. to start to rebuild. So I'm very optimistic. I really believe, and I'm reading, the summer is looking a lot different than it did last year in a positive sort of a way. The variants are a problem, I would agree. But the vaccines are on the horizon. The Americans are starting to get vaccinated. I was going to say euthanized. Vaccinated. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 uh, Don't start uh, that rumor. <laughs> <laughs> and the vaccines are starting to roll in Canada. I'm very, very optimistic that I'm going to be on my motorcycle this summer. I might even get a trip or two in. So I feel good. I think right now, unlike the government of Ontario that said they're going to put an iron ring around old age homes and did nothing when they could have. I'm now preparing for an uptake in business, an uptake in quality of life with my family and my friends, and maybe actually seeing you for a beer for the first time in a year instead of seeing you over Skype. So yeah. I really think that times are ahead. And I'm actually starting to look at some bikes, and hopefully I'll be able to buy one and ride over and have well, that I, beer with you because that's long overdue. Fantastic. 
So on that, uh, I think we should wrap it up. I, I, I'm sweating from all the... Uh, <laughs> well, just before we go, do you want to tell them about our special guest next episode? Do we have one? No. <laughs> I thought I would smash it. Well, we're working you know, on one. I just don't well, know who he is yet. Well, you know what? Seriously speaking to our listeners, to our hundreds of thousands of listeners, actually to our two listeners, mom and dad, if you know of someone that you think might be a good guest, why don't you drop us a line? Either drop us a line at our uh, website at the comment section, com, or at info at com. That's B-R-I-A-N-C-L-A-M-A-N.com. And just say, hey, why don't you invite President Trump as your next guest? And we'll have our producers call ex-President Trump and we'll set it up. If he's not in jail, but that's a good guess. We'll, we'll interview him in jail. <laughs> You'd be willing to do a Skype call from there. Yeah. Uh, Brian, I think that uh, summarizes things very well. Always happy to hear back from our audience uh, and our listeners. Please leave us some comments if uh, you want to cover topics. You know, you may not have a speaker that we, we want to reach out to, but certainly you might have a, a topic of interest that we're happy to do some research on and, and talk about. Uh, so with that, until next time, talk to you later. See ya. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. That concludes this podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening and will join us in a couple of weeks for our latest episode. Please remember to like and follow us on our sponsor's webpage, brianclayman.com, where you can leave us your comments and suggest topics you'd like to hear about in future episodes. Until next time, thanks for listening, and don't forget to protect your assets. (laughs) 